the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Is all this necessary? Hey, it's April Fool's Day, uh, and we're starting a new month of mitigation. And by the way, mitigation is the word of the year for 2020, and it's only April. But, it is, but is all this uh, mitigation worth it? In a few minutes, we're going to talk to a professor from Carnegie Mellon who may make you wonder if it's only delaying the inevitable. Meanwhile, here's a local pastor. He doesn't seem to be on board with mitigating. His name is Jonathan Shuttlesworth. He's an evangelist from Washington County and the founder of Revival Today TV. Shame on every European full gospel church. Bunch of sissies that shut down during this thing. Catholic Church not having holy water in the lobby. How holy is the water then? That should be a sign to you that your whole religion's a fraud. Any faith that doesn't work in real life is a fake faith. Totally fake. You're not word of faith. You don't have anything to do with Brother Hagen. If you're putting out pamphlets and telling everybody to, you know, use Perel before they come into the sanctuary and don't greet anyone, you should just turn in your ministry credentials and burn your church down. Turn it into a casino or something. You're a loser. Just to, just if nobody told you, let me tell you. You're a loser. Bunch of pansies. No bull****. Got neutered so, somewhere along the line and don't even realize it. No mass gathering. Let me tell you, if the devil doesn't want there to be mass gatherings, it's time to hold mass gatherings. If I lived in Italy, I would call an open-air crusade to pray for the sick. If you have to go to jail, go to jail. Yeah, that's... Uh... Mr. Shuttlesworth, Jonathan Shuttlesworth, he's an evangelist, and uh, he's not buying any of this mitigation. But, but, and that seems a little strong. Uh, but he also, by the way, is planning a. Um, he said he's thinking about having an Easter kind of a Woodstock gathering for Christians, which should be interesting. We'll keep our eye on that. Uh, meanwhile, when we come back, we're going to talk to a professor from Carnegie Mellon who's one more guy who has a serious problem with the models that governments are leaning on to make all those decisions on uh, how much we need to be mitigated. And in our second half hour, we're not going to talk about the coronavirus, but we will talk to a guy who represents an organization that is hoping to get the Supreme Court to overturn a really stupid city of Pittsburgh law. Stick around. Obamacare, Trump Care, ACA, COBRA. There are so many choices, but all seem to bring one word to mind. Expensive. There are lots of changes happening in healthcare today. Fortunately, I know someone that has been on the forefront of health insurance for years. Todd Marley at Marley Financial. Todd and his team of professionals are licensed with virtually every healthcare provider in the country. They help determine which plan is right for you and then expertly help you choose the best plan for your needs and then do so prudently. Don't need maternity coverage? Call Marley Financial. Have pre-existing conditions? Call Marley Financial. Want just catastrophic or just accident? You know the answer. Because they know how to design the plans. Most of their clients save 30 to 60%, which can add up to several thousand dollars a year. Call Todd at Marley Financial, 724-884-1496. That's 724-884-1496 on the web at MarleyFG.com. Todd Marley at Marley Financial, 724-884-1496 at MarleyFG.com. Do you want to get rid of your expensive landline, save money, but keep your important home telephone number? then OurOldNumber.com has the perfect solution. OurOldNumber.com allows you to keep your home phone number and cancel that expensive landline connection. With OurOldNumber.com, calls from family and friends to your home phone number are answered by a personal greeting from you. 
The caller selects which family member they want to reach, and the call is immediately forwarded to that family member's cell phone. Your important home phone number is still your number. It's still in directory assistance, and no matter where you happen to be, you'll never miss a call. There's no equipment to buy. There's nothing to install. There are no long-term contracts, and it's only $9.99 per month. Best of all, OurOldNumber.com eliminates those annoying sales calls. Now, your home telephone number can be as mobile as you and your family are with OurOldNumber.com. Visit OurOldNumber.com to learn more and get started today. OurOldNumber.com. If you're in HR, you're probably wearing a lot of hats. Recruiter, team builder, trainer, mediator, policymaker, and of course, paper pusher. But not anymore. Bamboo HR is the number one HR software for small and medium businesses. It manages all your employee data easily and automates countless tasks so you can focus on people, not paperwork. Bamboo HR frees you from spreadsheets so you can do your real job, creating a great place to work. If the data shuffle and paperwork mountain have you ready to hang up all your hats, you're ready for Bamboo. If you handle HR records and paperwork, Bamboo HR is a dream. Let us free up your time and put your days of pushing paperwork behind you so you can focus on the people and making your company a great place to work for everyone. Try PC Magazine's top pick for HR software free today. Just go to BambooHR.com slash hats. This is a limited offer only available to radio listeners at BambooHR.com slash hats. That's BambooHR.com slash hats. I'm doing it all. The water, the fiber, the exercise. But I still have constipation with belly pain, straining, and bloating that keeps coming back. My doctor said I may have a chronic medical condition called irritable bowel syndrome with constipation or IBSC. Linzess, linaclotide, is a prescription medication that treats adults with IBS with constipation. Linzess helps relieve belly pain and lets you have more frequent and complete bowel movements. Individual results may vary. Do not give to children less than 6, and it should not be given to children 6 to less than 18. It may harm them. Do not take Linzess if you have a bowel blockage. Get immediate help if you develop unusual or severe stomach pain, especially with bloody or black stools. The most common side effect is diarrhea, sometimes severe. If it's severe, stop taking Linzess and call your doctor right away. Other side effects include gas, stomach area pain, and swelling. Talk to your doctor and learn more at Linzess.com. That's L-I-N-Z-E-S-S dot com. Or call 1-800-LINZESS. Sponsored by Allergan Pharmaceuticals and Ironwood Pharmaceuticals. This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The answer. Well, we only have 30 more days uh, to be stuck in our homes, maybe. But it's uh, good to know that it's all worthwhile, isn't it? Or is it? Uh, Two local professors, one from Pitt and one from Carnegie Mellon, published a paper on Medium. And the headline is, A Call to Honesty in Pandemic Modeling. Wes Pegden is an associate mathematics professor at Carnegie Mellon. He's one of the co-authors, and he joins us now. Wes, thanks for being here. Oh, for sure. Thanks for having me. So, should I take from the headline that you don't think the modeling has been honest? Uh, So, uh, what I think you should take from the headline is that, uh, at the very least, some people are uh, misinterpreting what the models tell you. So I, I think, you know, as you said at the, at the opening there, I think some people have this idea that, you know, if we all hunker down for two months, uh, we'll see infections drop. And, and that's true. We'll see infections drop way down, uh, hopefully. Um, but what's not true is that then somehow everything can return to normal and everything will be okay. Uh, because the problem is that, you know, as soon as you open things back up, unless a significant fraction of people have been infected, or unless something else has changed, the epidemic will come roaring back. Uh, so, and that is, I think, a message that's being lost, uh, you know, somewhere between, you know, uh, how the models are being presented, how the press is reporting on the models, how the models are being interpreted by people making decisions. And, uh, and that's our point, uh, that there's nothing about, you know, about this problem that we have that guarantees in a month or two we'll be all good. Yeah, that's uh, not going to make people feel very good. Uh, you, you, you cite a study at the University of Washington uh, in your piece, and one uh, from a group of researchers featured in the New York Times um, that that speculate on the numbers we'll see after all this mitigation. And you don't like those numbers because why? I mean, you, I, you kind of explained it there. Yeah, so, but you can be right. Like, so, I mean, the, the example from the New York Times is pretty egregious, right? So they, they had this little app you could play with where you could, like, try out different mitigations. And, and see the effect on uh, how many people would get infected. But they only simulated things in the app out to October. And what would happen in, this, in their scenario where they said that, you know, they were cutting infections dramatically, 
is that really the epidemic would just get pushed to October, which you couldn't see in their window. Um, now, I should say that, you know, what we're saying here is not that, like, delaying things doesn't help, right? Like, right now in Pittsburgh, UPMT is ramping up hospital capacity. They're converting beds to ICU beds. People are talking about using the convention center to handle overflow. There's things that you can do with the delay to make a difference. But the thing to understand is that just cutting down the infections themselves, like just delaying the infections, is not what's saving lives there. It's, it's what you do with the time that matters. Yeah, so, I mean, there are a lot of, I think most people out there, I know I, I'm hoping, I wasn't necessarily counting on it, but I was hoping that at least, if not at the end of April, uh, sometime relatively soon after that, that we would get back to quote-unquote normal. Um, and I think most people would be thrilled to hear that that's the case, but I don't think too many people are aware of what you're saying in your piece, which is that, yeah, yeah, you'll go back to normal, exactly. but uh, it's going to get worse. Yeah, yeah so, right, I, I think, like, uh, there's no reason to suspect that things can go completely back to normal in April. Um, and I think that, right, and this is something I think is being lost in the discussion, which is part of the reason we wrote our piece. So we don't, in particular, I think it's bad if somehow, you know, the public is given this idea that things can all go back to normal, and then two months later it's like, oh, sorry, well, you know, we were wrong about that, because, I mean, Fighting, you know, COVID-19 is a, it's a big problem. It's going to kill a lot of people. And you know, it's going to involve a lot of society working together and having trust. And, and so we can't be giving the wrong idea and then, you know, telling people that, you know, well, actually that was wrong. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it, it's still very unclear what will happen moving forward. And I think leaders should be honest with people about that. Uh, I, I also, you know, am, am yearning to be able to go out of the house more. Uh, you yeah. know, being stuck at home is, uh, is, is, I think, not something a lot of people like. Um, and we might see things start to open up gradually, carefully, in certain ways as, as things go forward. But people, I, I think it's, it's correct to say that nobody really knows what that will look like. And I think certainly the idea that things will completely open up uh, in the next couple months is very unlikely. So, for example, Carnegie Mellon, uh, where I work, has already uh, canceled all in-person classes over the summer. There'll be no students attending classes on campus over the summer. That's all going to be done remotely, like the, the classes going on in the current semester. And to be honest, I don't know what will happen in the fall. What will happen in the fall is, is I think, still unclear at a lot of these universities and schools. So it's going to be a long game, and I think it's, it, you know, nobody really knows exactly what that will look like. That's not to say nobody's working on it, right? I think people are, are thinking hard about it. Like I said, the hospital systems are doing a lot to try to prepare. People are, are, are going all out, but I think that the, the long game is still very unclear. How this ends is, is not something that we fully understand. And there are a lot of empty stadiums and arenas out there right now that um, you know the, the leagues have pretty much shut, well, they've, they've shut it down, but they haven't necessarily canceled their seasons yet. Um, w- going back to normal would be having 65,000 people at Heinz Field in September or you know, eighteen to eighteen thousand people at um, at the arena for uh, a Penguins game at PPG. Based on what you're saying here, that doesn't sound like that would be a really good idea to have that happen anytime soon. Yeah, somehow. I mean, okay, on this particular question, you know, my guess is as good as anybody else's, but I would kind of imagine that that's a, maybe the last kind of thing to open up, right? These sort of really huge gatherings of people. Uh, I mean, I'm hoping that. It, right. I mean, I would imagine that the first thing that you you would see open up are, are sort of, you know, smaller businesses, things that right now are completely closed, uh, right? You can't go to a toy store now or, or the library, right? And uh, so I think, you know, things like that might maybe cautiously open up a, a, a earlier than things like these very large gatherings. Um, you're right. Yeah, I don't know when we'll see the next football game with a full stadium. That's a, that's a good question. And so you also, and we're talking to um, Wes Pegden. He's an associate mathematics professor at Carnegie. You can find his piece uh, that he co-authored at Medium. Uh, where, what's the website that they could go to to see that, uh, Wes? Uh, yeah, so if you, uh, I guess there's a, one way to find it. If you go to Twitter, you can find me on Twitter, Wes Pegden, so W-E-S-P-E-G-D-E-N, and you know, okay. you'll find a link there. Or you can just search for the piece. It's called A Call to Honesty and Pandemic Modeling, and yeah, Google will turn Google it up. that, you'll find it. Yeah, okay. So uh, uh, interesting that I saw, and, I, and this stuff is uh, kind of mind-blowing for, for a uh, simple-minded person like me, but um, what differences did you calculate 
between what would happen with extreme mitigation, which is what I think we're going through now, I would call it extreme anyway, and no mitigation. What the difference? If we would, if they would have done nothing, what what differences would we have seen? Aside uh, from the oh, preparation so yeah, you talked about, there's two scenarios you know. that I present. Right? Yeah. So I present these two scenarios uh, uh, that that we actually calculated for this other uh, manuscript that we wrote on this. The two scenarios are, are one: we have no mitigations at all, mm-hmm. and the other scenario is we have extreme mitigations for six months, and then things start to go back to normal. Okay. Um, but, but nothing's changed. Hostels are the same. There's still no vaccine. There's still no treatment. Okay. Those two scenarios basically are exactly the same. Like deaths in total are reduced by like 1%. And right. The reason is that, you know, if nothing changes on the ground, if the mortality rate's the same, if there's still no vaccine, if we haven't discovered any effective treatment, delaying the epidemic with mitigation doesn't really make a difference. You still see a huge epidemic, essentially the same number of people are infected and essentially the same number of people die. So doing nothing and doing a lot for a, for a while and then and then doing nothing, those two things aren't that different unless you use that time to make a difference. And do you get the feeling, I know this is not your area of expertise necessarily, but you, just like everybody else, you see what's going on. Uh, do, do you think that this is based on what you've looked into here and the numbers you came up with? Is what they're doing now a good idea? Well, so I think that, you know, the idea of, I mean, like I said before, this is a huge problem society is facing. And mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, we don't know how this will end and how to get out of this does not mean that we, you know, don't need to start somewhere. I think that, you know, what's happening right now to some extent is people don't really know how we'll get out of this. And in the meantime, we are shut down just even just to formulate a strategy. And that time is also being used, right? I mean, they're increasing. So, for example, in New York, they, they sailed a, a military hospital boat up to New York with an enormous number of extra beds, uh, right? They're doing things with this time. I think, you know, the question of whether society could really wait for a vaccine, I mean, a vaccine is one to two years off, assuming that it can be, uh, you can have an effective vaccine at least. Um, the idea that society could be shut down for that amount of time, I think is, uh, I'm a little bit skeptical of that. Uh, so I think that realistically, you know, at some point there will have to be some strategy that doesn't just involve waiting. But I think that the fact that that they have shut things down while they formulate a strategy and do basic things like increase capacity, increase the number of ventilators, try to increase testing, I think that that, uh, that I think is very defensible. But I think at the same time, you know, there has to be a pivot to thinking about what comes next. And that's part of our point here, right? Like just being cautious and playing it safe is not actually a substitute for thinking because if we just play it safe and shut everything down for as long as we can, and then what happens is eventually society starts opening up, not because it makes sense to it, but just because people stop listening, for example, then you'll have an epidemic that you have no control over and you'll have lost the chance to really control how mortality actually plays out. So how does this compare... uh, again, I, I apologize if this is not something it's, that you've looked into, but how does what they're doing now compare to what's been done in the past? I mean, obviously it's more extreme, but I'm talking about the the um, the attitude toward the, uh, the epidemic itself and the expectations of what will happen. I mean, uh, yeah, does so, this I mean, happen with any epidemic? You go back. Yeah, you can go back to, for example, the Spanish flu. And I mean, in the mm-hmm. Spanish flu, you know, there's all sorts of stuff you can read about that people took it pretty seriously, uh, at least in some cities. And, uh, there's, uh, National Geographic had a nice article about this recently where they showed all the different cities, uh, and how many deaths they saw. And there's a huge difference between the cities that took it seriously and the, and the cities that did nothing. Like, so Philadelphia famously held a parade in the early stages of the epidemic, and they had three times as many deaths as some other places. But one thing that's true, though, is that no place at that time uh, shut down society so much that they avoided that they really avoided a significant fraction of people getting sick. That is, the Spanish flu ended because of herd immunity. Enough people got sick that the bug couldn't spread anymore. Um, and now we're kind of doing something a little different. We're sh- we're shutting things down so much that actually. You know, the goal is to contain the epidemic from spreading so that actually a, a small fraction of the population gets it. And what that means is that when it's over, you, once you've done that, actually you're not in a steady state. You can't open up and be done. In mean, the Spanish flu, the whole thing was over in, in some sense relatively quickly. The places that took it more seriously did have fewer deaths, but everybody reached herd immunity. 
It's amazing um, to think about what you're saying here. I mean, it, so uh, you're right that um, two months of containment is no better than two weeks either. So if they would have done this for two weeks, it would dep- whether, whether it was effective or not would be based only on how much preparation they were able to make in those two weeks for what's to come inevitably, which is a, a, a right. pandemic so that you're going to have to deal we, with. Yeah. Exactly. So as long as you see that the time is being used, and I think in some places it's really true that the time is being used, then then there can be value. But there will be some point at which you can no longer use the time, right? Like after, I don't know how long it will be, but there will be some point where actually we're just shut down and the time is not being, and you know, the trade-off and how you're using the time versus uh, what the, versus the effect of being shut down will be different. Um, and then, you know, we're going to have some hard decisions to make. Uh but, yeah, well, it's going to be interesting to see what, how, how this plays out, obviously. Now, you know, what you're saying, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen this in too many places. Um, I mean, I, I've seen, um, you know, so much about this, I forget what I've seen. But I, but I know that, I, you know, there's been uh, reports and, and analysis about um, how, this, uh, how, how this flu is going to, this virus is going to um, expand and how, it it almost you have to either have a a vaccine or herd um, immunity, which is means everybody gets it and then gets immune to it. Um, I just don't see that going over too well with the public. And so, would the, I don't do you think it would be a good idea for the for the president or anybody else in government to let people know that this is a possibility that it's going to be worse after the two months? Yeah, I mean, I think, right, so I'm not going to advise any politicians. It's not, right. Uh, yeah, but, uh, but yeah, I think it, I do think that honesty is important. I mean, one, one point that we make in this piece is that, you know, public health depends on the public trusting the people making public health recommendations. And so I think being honest is critical. Um, I think, you know, part of what's happening is that, you know, we're in the early stages of this where there's so much uncertainty that people are, you know, just still frantically trying to figure out basic things like where to ship the ventilators and what to do today and tomorrow. But I do think it's true that, you know, people should be honest about the fact that there's no reason to think that things will go back to normal in April. And I think you're seeing more of that. You hear more comments about this, but I think, I think it should be made more clear. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a difficult issue. But yeah, I think that, uh, again, like, and I, just to emphasize, I'm not saying somehow that, you know, two weeks and two months are the same. But the point is, we just need to think about, you know, what we can do with this time. And, you know, to the extent that we can do more with the delay, that's the added value. But just seeing the infections drop is not going to mean we're out of the woods. And one other point to make here is, yeah, so I think normally when people talk about herd immunity, there's this idea that, you know, everybody gets it, okay? But something mm-hmm. to keep in mind is actually when you get herd immunity, it's not everybody gets it. It's just enough people get it that the virus uh, uh, can't transmit itself uh, efficiently enough among the population. So in particular, some fraction of the population will get it and some won't. And one, I mean, so one interesting thing about COVID-19, I mean, it's interesting and, and also one of its, you know, tragic characteristics is that it is much, it is much more dangerous for some people than for others, right? I mean, there's two orders of magnitude difference in how deadly it is for older and younger people. So one, one idea that we've written about, which is, you know, something that, you know, society might start considering in a few months or when it's, when people start thinking about how to open this up, is that if you carefully opened up society more for people on low risk groups, you could try to reach a point where you did build herd immunity, but only among the pop- population for whom COVID-19 was not nearly as dangerous. Now, there's all sorts of, you know, details that would have to go into playing for, for this, but I'm, I'm just making the point that, you know, there's not just, uh, right, there are some, some options that people can be thinking about other than just a vaccine or everybody gets it, right? So one thing you can try to do is you can affect who gets it, and that can have a huge effect on how many people would actually die. Wes, I'm up against a hard break. i got about 20 seconds. I really appreciate you uh, being here. Wes Pegden of uh, Carnegie Mellon, thanks a lot. Okay. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, that's Wes Pegden, and that's some interesting stuff, and I don't think it comes across as real good news. We'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. President Trump is resisting calls to issue a national stay-at-home order to stem the spread of the coronavirus. Surgeon General Jerome Adams says the nation's federalist system leaves much of the authority on 
how to properly respond to catastrophes to individual state governors and local officials. One by one, states are increasingly pushing shutdown orders of their own. Vice President Mike Pence says Americans will have enough food and supplies to get through the pandemic. During a visit to a Virginia distribution center for Walmart, the vice president said America's food supply is very strong. Mobile carrier T-Mobile has completed the takeover of rival Sprint, creating a new wireless giant that rivals AT&T and Verizon in size. Stocks finishing lower. The Dow fell 973 points today. The Nasdaq was off 339. This is SRN News. I'm doing all the right things, drinking plenty of water, eating right, exercising. But month after month, my constipation with belly pain, straining, and bloating keep coming back. Irritable bowel syndrome with constipation, or IBSC, affects 13 million Americans. Linzess, linaclotide, is a prescription medication that treats IBSC in adults. Linzess helps relieve belly pain and lets you have more frequent and complete bowel movements. Individual results may vary. Do not give to children less than 6, and it should not be given to children 6 to less than 18. It may harm them. Do not take Linzess if you have a bowel blockage. Get immediate help if you develop unusual or severe stomach pain, especially with bloody or black stools. The most common side effect is diarrhea, sometimes severe. If it's severe, stop taking Linzess and call your doctor right away. Other side effects include gas, stomach area pain, and swelling. Talk to your doctor and learn more at linzess.com. That's L-I-N-Z-E-S-S dot com. Or call 1-800-LINZESS. Sponsored by Allergan Pharmaceuticals and Ironwood Pharmaceuticals. Dennis Prager believes we are in a huge dilemma. Whatever your beliefs about the virus, we are all confronted with the identical dilemma. And that the dilemma is, do, do we ruin the economy of the world and of the United States? Or do, do we ruin it in order to prevent something that might happen? The Dennis Prager Show, weekdays at noon, right before Sebastian Gorka at 3 on AM 1250. The answer. When you shop Goodwill, you don't just bring home a vintage dress or cat lamp. You bring home so much good to your community because everything you buy funds local job training and more. Goodwill, bring good home. Brought to you by Goodwill and the Ad Council. Well, we're all spending more time at home these days, but somehow the wind and the rain didn't get the memo about shelter in place. This is John Stoggerwald with some great news from Windows R Us Pittsburgh. They've been granted a waiver by the governor to handle any emergency repairs outside your home. If you've had damage to your roof, gutters, siding, or windows, Windows R Us Pittsburgh can still answer the call. And everything will be handled in strict compliance with the government's social distancing guidelines to keep your family and their employees safe. You may be eligible for free repair or replacement with the area's premier exterior replacement company with over 50 years of home remodeling experience. Visit windowsrspittsburgh.com for a free inspection from one of their highly trained appraisers for a no-pressure approach with no hidden fees and one of the fastest turnaround times in the industry, a company who will never skip town when it comes to honoring their warranty. windowsrspittsburgh.com. That's windowsrspittsburgh.com. We're all looking for TV shows to fill all the time we have on our hands these days. And here's a show that you can watch with your family. It's No Safe Spaces, starring Dennis Prager and Adam Carolla, the number one political documentary of 2019. It's all about how our foundational American values have come under attack, especially on college campuses. Hollywood doesn't want you to see this movie. You won't find it on Netflix. But it's now available for a limited time at nosafespaces.com. It's No Safe Spaces at nosafespaces.com. Enter Save 25, get 25 off. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or radio.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. An accident in Pleasant Hills on 51 near East Brewston Road. Jefferson Hills crash closes Peen Hill Road between Montfayette Expressway and Clareton Road. Penn Hills landslide shuts down Coal Hollow Road between Frankstown Road and Lime Hollow Road. Pittsburgh City Parks open. Playgrounds are closed, though. Social distancing encouraged. PA Turnpike is cashless only. No cash. You have to use Easy Pass or pay by plate. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, the answer. Weather. Clear skies tonight, chilly, low 34. Sunshine tomorrow with a chilly breeze, high 53. Starlit tomorrow night, chilly, low 32. 
Sunshine on Friday with a nice afternoon, high 58. Partly sunny and pleasantly mild for Saturday, high 62. Sunday, cloudy to partly sunny, mild again, high 64. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Brian May. You're listening to the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The answer. Yesterday, we told you about a campaign by Susan B. Anthony List to pressure Governor Wolf into eliminating abortions in Pennsylvania during the pandemic. We have another abortion story involving Pittsburgh, the city of Pittsburgh, and the Supreme Court. Kevin Terrio of Alliance Defending Freedom is here to tell us about it. Uh, Kevin, thanks for being here. Oh, it's great to be on. Thanks for having me. So let's start uh, from the beginning here. The city of Pittsburgh took action to ban certain kinds of speech. Why? I guess this is the easiest way to put it. <laughs> well, they're trying to silence speakers because they don't like what they have to say, and, and right. those speakers happen to be pro-life speakers. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and it, it's all about um, demonstrations in front of abortion uh, clinics, facilities? That, that's right. Um, even though the right to free speech is for everyone, what the city of Pittsburgh decided to do was shut down 30 feet of uh, a sidewalk in front of abortion clinics, um, saying that you could ask people what the weather is and you can talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers, but you can't talk to them about their decision about whether or not to have an abortion. Um, now, I, 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 I'm on your side on this, but um, is, can they, are they calling it harassment and, and that's why it's not considered speech? They're not. Uh, they're, what they're saying is that um, women um, should not be uh, forced to talk to someone that they don't want to talk to. And, of course, we would agree with that, and sidewalk counseling is not about that at all. We're trying to talk to willing listeners in a face-to-face, non-confrontational situation. Uh, there's no shouting, no yelling, um, and our sidewalk counselors, like Nikki Bruni, um, talks to women regularly about the fact that they don't have to um, have an abortion. There are many options available to them, and she can help. And and Bruni is the name on the uh, on the uh, complaint, correct? That's correct. That's right. And 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 uh, she's been. Uh, go ahead. Uh, it's it's uh, it's she's been engaging in this type of one-on-one conversation for many years, um, mm-hmm. but the sidewalk counseling they call it, it's called sidewalk counseling. That's the only type of conversation um, that Pittsburgh uh, appears to ban. And uh, why did uh, Pittsburgh, the city, go to the trouble of painting the sidewalks? Well, they painted a line to delineate where 15 feet from the door is. So it's a diameter of 30 feet from each side of the door. And, of course, the problem is that um, when Nikki and other sidewalk counselors are talking with someone, they're walking beside them, giving them literature. When they get to that line, they have to stop, and the woman keeps going. And they look at them, well, I wonder what's going on. And uh, that that makes them not trust them if they think, uh, oh, they're not doing, they're they're not allowed to be in here. There must be something wrong from them. And then, of course, the escorts are allowed to be in there, and they speak to women, talk over the pro-life counselors, and actually try to distract um, the women from uh, paying attention to our clients. Now, uh, um, what would the penalty for this be if I'm if I'm uh, counseling a woman as she's heading in for an abortion? And I go beyond that line. Do the, you know, does a siren go off? Do the you know, the police come and take me away? Oh yeah, police can come and take you away. As a matter of fact, the the uh, Planned Parenthood there calls the police on a regular basis if women violate that um, and step inside the line when they're counseling. Um, if our clients are counseling women and uh, they they are violating the ordinance, and they can be fined, they can put be put in jail. Now. If uh, what what makes the this is what I don't understand what makes the city think that it uh, and it has gotten away with it to this point obviously but what makes the city think that they can dis- declare the sidewalk in front of an abortion facility different from any other public sidewalk? Well, they're targeting pro-life speech and and yeah. they think that they're justified in doing that because. Um, because they say that they're restricting all speech when, in fact, they don't. Um, and, of course, even if they were restricting all speech, uh, that would be a problem because sidewalks are the place where everybody is supposed to be allowed to speak as long as you're doing it in an order, orderly fashion. Um, so 
you know, our clients, and not just our clients, but anyone who cares about free speech should be concerned um, that the government is denying this constitutional right, uh, whether you are uh, an environmentalist or um, a, a pro-animal uh, person or a vegan or whatever co- your cause is, you want to have access to the sidewalks next to places that um, uh, you think you can make um, your best statement. And, uh, and, and this, this ordinance allows Pittsburgh to censor people um, that they disagree with. Well, what, if, I'm a, if I'm a business owner uh, and in the city of Pittsburgh or any city, I guess, um, what, what is my... What what jurisdiction do I have over the sidewalk in front of my place? I mean, it, is there? I, do I have any control over it at all? If as long as people are not obstructing entrance into the building, not to restrict speech. No, you sure don't. And uh, but and of course that's why Planned Parenthood lobbied the city of Pittsburgh really hard uh, to try to get them to enact this ordinance because they weren't able to shut down the speakers that are very effective in uh, speaking to women one on one and letting them know they really do have a choice. Now, they tried this in Massachusetts several years ago, and the Supreme Court struck it down, right? They did. Um, they uh, prohibit even entering um, the, an, an area around abortion clinics in, in Massachusetts, and the Supreme Court said, look, you, you can't do that unless you've tried every other avenue of uh, making sure that, that women have access to the door. Um, there's, they, there's plenty of laws that would prohibit all the concerns that Planned Parenthood talks about that they're harassing or there's, they can be charged for harassing or they're blocking, they can be charged for blocking. What you can't do is shut down speech for everyone on the front of a, in a traditional public forum um, where we have the highest and, uh, protection for our speech. And uh, so then what happened after, I, I, it would seem uh, logical that the Massachusetts decision would prevail over what Pittsburgh's trying to do. Yeah, it really would. And uh, that was our primary argument. And uh, you're talking about the McCullen case, but we made that argument yeah. to the, to the court of appeals and to the trial court. And, and they, they said that, well, this is a little different. What they did is they just reinterpreted the ordinance and said, well, we're going to interpret it a little more narrowly. Um, even though you still can't hold a sign or wear a t-shirt or wear a button in the zone, you are allowed to have one-on-one conversations and so we're going to uphold the ordinance because we're reinterpreting it, reinterpreting it. But the problem is uh, that, uh, first of all, that doesn't fix uh, all the restrictions on speech. And then secondly, the city of Pittsburgh could still, they're not bound by that advisory opinion. They still uh, can arrest my clients for engaging in one-on-one conversations with women outside abortion clinics. And, and the Third Circuit uh, Court of Appeals, they did rule... Um, in the sidewalk counselor's favor, and then, and then they reinterpret it? Well, what, what caused them to reinterpret what they had uh, initially ruled? Well, no, they, well, they're, <laughs> it's interesting. So there have been several iterations of this case. When um, the, the court threw the case out, the Third Circuit ruled in our favor, reinstituted the case. Then the trial court ruled against us. We went, had to go back up to the Third Circuit, and the Third Circuit said, well... If, as the city says, it really does prohibit sidewalk counseling, that would be a problem. Um, what we're, uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to say that it shouldn't apply to sidewalk counseling, and therefore we're going to uphold the ordinance. And, of course, the problem is that's not a binding determination. And uh, so we'll see. We'll see what the Supreme Court does. So what if I wanted to stand near a, a, a Krispy Kreme? And pray for people to understand the problems that come with obesity. Um, I mean, I know Krispy Kreme wouldn't like it, but if I were on a public sidewalk, is there anything they could do about it? If I was handing out pamphlets showing pictures of fat people eating donuts? No, they couldn't. Uh, Not unless they got the city to pass an ordinance that says uh, we're going to prohibit all literature distribution out in front of Krispy Kremes or donut shops. And what, of course, what Pittsburgh did is it said we're going to we're going to allow the restriction of speech in front of all healthcare facilities, um, but it only applies if we draw line, and they only drew lines in front of abortion clinics. Isn't that telling? So yeah, so they so they made it sound like they were doing this in front of any health uh, care facility. So if I were if you were going in for a uh, 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 I don't know a, some some kind of elective surgery. 
that it, that it would apply to someone going in for LASIK surgery. It's the same thing. They're all the same, except that they only painted lines around the abortion clinics. Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. Um, it shows you that they really are targeting pro-life speakers. And um, the city, uh, even though the right to free speech is, is for everyone, the city doesn't like what these pro-life speakers have to say, and they're trying to silence them. Now, of course, the city is, uh, has only been cont- controlled by Democrats for, uh, I think, 75 years since, they, since they've had a, <laughs> anything other than a Democratic mayor, and it's, a, it's just a Democrat stronghold. Is this happening in any other cities? Is anybody else trying to do this, or any states, or it's, anybody trying to get away with this? It is happening in some other cities. However, it's become rarer since that this case that the Supreme Court decided you spoke about early, but Mm-hmm. Heard about it recently happening in Mississippi, and uh, but it's usually in enclaves where it's fairly liberal, where they may believe in free speech, they just don't like free speech that's pro-life, and which is the old abortion distortion that we see lots of times in constitutional. And so, um, you know, the fact of the matter is, uh, these cities oftentimes allow others to speak face to face because. They think their speech is innocuous, but the minute you say something that somebody might be offended, um, the city of Pittsburgh is trying to protect women from unwanted speech. And, of course, um, the First Amendment says that the city can't do that. We're talking to uh, Kevin Terrio of Alliance Defending Freedom, and he's here talking about um, a case, Bruni v. City of Pittsburgh, and um, trying to get it to uh, – you're petitioning the Supreme Court, uh, Kevin – what, how does that work, and how long might that take before you get... First of all, they have to agree to hear the case, but is, is that what you're petitioning to do now? That's right. We're hopeful that the Supreme Court will take this up to correct the problem of censoring speech that simply doesn't... Um, and how, go ahead. And how, how long is that process likely to take? Well... Um, we filed our cert petition last week, which is the the paper that says, Supreme Court, we'd like you to hear this case, because they only hear a very few number of cases each year, like less than 1% of those that apply, and uh, or less than 10%, excuse me, of those that apply. And, uh, and so uh, once uh, the Supreme Court has a chance to review it, give Pittsburgh a chance to respond, um, it'll take several months. Um, if the court decides to hear it, um, it, it probably wouldn't be heard until the fall. Now, uh, the city of Pittsburgh, if it's pursuing this, which I would imagine it will, and, and uh, fight it, um, what kind of expenses uh, will the taxpayers be paying as far as legal fees for a case to go that far? Well, uh, you know, the city attorneys are defending it, so yeah. the, there's not some offhand, but if uh, right as they're defending it. However... Um, if we win, then they'll have to pay our legal fees, which would um, uh, be hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh, well, good. I hope you guys win. That's another reason I hope you guys win. Uh, well, um, I really appreciate you coming on, Kevin, and um, uh, good luck with this, and we'll try to keep updated on it. And uh, well, when, maybe when you get this thing, uh, when the Supreme Court decides to take the case, we'll bring you on again and talk about it. I appreciate it. All right. Sounds good. Appreciate you having me on today. Okay, thank you. And that's uh, Kevin Terrio of Alliance Defending Freedom, and we will be right back. If you're thinking of replacing your carpets due to pet stains and odors, you must try Genesis 950. Thanks to Genesis 950, I can have guests in my home without the shame of pet stains and odors. Genesis 950 with water breaks down the bonds of stains and odors so they're gone for good. Its antibacterial component removes pet odors from carpet and padding. All pet owners should have Genesis 950 on hand. I can even use it in my carpet cleaning machine. And it's green, so it's safe for my family and pets. Before you purchase new carpets, you must try Genesis 950. It's made in America. One gallon of industrial strength Genesis 950 makes up to seven gallons of cleaner. But Genesis 950 is not just for pet stains. It's great for floors, bathrooms, kitchens, garages, oil and grease stains, wheels, tires, degreasing engines, and upholstery. It's available on Amazon. However, if you order a gallon direct at Genesis950.com, you'll receive a free spray bottle and discount using code SALEM. That's Genesis950.com. Genesis950.com. It's time to stand with Israel. Sebastian Gorka here inviting you to register for a life-changing trip. 
trip to Israel, December 2nd to 11th. Join me, my friend Mike Lindell, and hundreds of patriots on the Stand with Israel tour, a journey to the Holy Land to get first-hand insights into Israel's fascinating past and promising future. Register today at sebgorka.com. On the Stand with Israel tour, history, culture, and faith will converge right before your eyes in a truly remarkable country. I'll take you behind the scenes to explore over 40 iconic sites during an all-inclusive 10-day tour this December. We'll pray at the ancient Western Wall, sail the picturesque Sea of Galilee, float on the Dead Sea, explore modern Tel Aviv, and much more. Best of all, we'll be together with like-minded supporters of the nation of Israel. Reserve your spot today and travel with me on the Stand with Israel tour. Visit sebgorka.com and click on the Israel banner. That's sebgorka.com, S-E-B-G-O-R-K-A.com. At Harry's, we work day and night to make shaving enjoyable. We think we've got it down to a science, actually. It starts with the most important stuff, our five-blade cartridges. They're strong, sharp, and made in our world-class German factory. Our craftsmen are a meticulous bunch. They're obsessed with quality, which is why we offer a 100% money-back guarantee. As for the handle, it's grippy and weighted for extra control, even when wet. Lastly, we have this whole no-ripping-people-off policy, which means we keep our prices fair every day. Take our blades. They cost as little as $2 each, because we think more money in your pocket is as enjoyable as it gets. When you're ready to start shaving the enjoyable way, get your Harry starter set. It includes a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and travel cover, all for just $3. Free shipping included. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388 at checkout. Harry's, engineered for enjoyment. Pain or no pain, your wisdom teeth should be checked every year. If wisdom teeth come in properly and meet the right conditions, they are generally safe to keep. But left unchecked, they can put you at risk for gum disease, tooth decay, and damage to adjacent teeth. Some wisdom teeth grow in at such an angle that they never break through the gum, which can lead to tooth decay, gum disease, cysts, and tumors. These impacted teeth can only be seen on x-rays, so the damage they may cause can go undetected if they are not checked by a dental professional. Some people just don't have enough room for another tooth in their mouth, so their wisdom teeth can affect adjacent teeth when they come in. This can make it difficult to chew, difficult to keep them all clean, and misalign your teeth. Not all wisdom teeth need to be removed, but they all do need to be monitored by an oral and maxillofacial surgeon. Find a surgeon near you for a complete examination. If your wisdom teeth do need to be removed, the procedure can be done in an office setting with minimal post-operative pain and swelling. Remember, pain or no pain, your wisdom teeth should be checked every year. Find your local oral and maxillofacial surgeon at myoms.org. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The Answer. I wanted to, uh, in case you missed the first half of the show, I, I wanted to tell you to uh, check it out because I thought it was really good, not because of me, but because of the guest. Uh, we had a guy on from uh, Carnegie Mellon, a, math- a mathematics professor, Wes Pegden, and uh, he's talking about these models that uh, they're using to, well, pretty much torture us with uh, making us stay home and do all the things we have to do. I'm talking to you right now from my home because I'm not in the studio. Um, and uh, he has some really interesting things to say based on the numbers. And basically uh, what he's saying is that two months of this mitigation, as they're calling it, um, is no better than two weeks because when when the two months are up or the two weeks are up, and, and whatever whatever time period it is, when people get back to doing normal things, the pandemic is just going to come back. So basically the only thing that we're getting – from this delay, this is what I got out of the conversation, uh, that the only thing we're getting from this delay is um, a chance to equip the hospitals, uh, uh, um, get enough people to work in the hospitals, ventilators, all the stuff you've been hearing about. That gives us more time to get that stuff in there. But at some point, when we go back to normal, the pandemic is just going to come back. And that's kind of disturbing, but that's what he said. So anyway, uh, I'm having trouble watching this stuff on TV at night because I, I'm, I'm just waiting for something new, and I'm, I think what I just told you is something new, but I don't see a lot of new stuff. Well, the ratings are not good for MSNBC. You know, I don't know if you noticed, but there's been kind of a lot of news in the last uh, two, three months. You know, the impeachment, the, um, the uh, Democratic debates, and the primaries, that's pretty big news for a cable news operation, but and that's the first quarter of 2020, 
and M- MSNBC is in the toilet. Fox News grew 38% among total viewers for that first quarter, uh, and MSNBC, uh, uh, or rather CNN, drew tw- grew 26, and MSNBC finished the quarter with the same viewership as this quarter last year when there wasn't this kind of news, and, and it was even worse uh, when you're talking about the demographics, the key demographic, which I disagree with, is 25 to 54, but that's what they call a key demographic. Maybe because I'm older than that, I think that's a dumb demographic. But anyway, that's the one that the advertisers look at, and that's the one that the uh, news operations shoot for. They want to win that 25 to 54. Fox News, 42% gain over last year between uh, in this first quarter for uh, viewers 25 to 54 even CNN uh, grew 27 percent MSNBC dropped by one percent this is MSNBC the which is I think is actually more biased than Fox um, I don't deny Fox is biased on the right but MSNBC I think is is even more biased on the left and less likely to to give a story uh, Give give the Republicans a fair shake, then the then Fox is likely to give the Democrats a fair shake. Um, MSNBC was still number two overall in basic cable network, but uh, they did they just showed no growth in this first quarter. That's not good news for them. Good news for me because I'd like to see them go all the way down the toilet and you know just disappear. But um, they what what uh, this uh, uh, a guy from uh, DePaul University. Uh, a guy named McCall, Professor McCall, who studies this stuff, he said this suggests that MSNBC can maintain their loyal core audience, but the appeal of NBC is limited beyond the channel's true believers, and this should concern the MSNBC hierarchy. Doesn't concern me. Makes me happy. That's it for today. Hope you enjoyed it. I'm here at home. I hope you're having a good time where you are at home, and I'll talk to you tomorrow right here. On AM 1250, The Answer. Bye. The John Steigerwall Show is a production of AM 1250, The Answer, and Salem Media Group.